Who wants to tell you who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Java Chat. This is Coffee with Mike, and I get to sit down and chat with a very, very interesting gent who was a former Marine and is now, like, I don't know if you want to call it a 180, but he has definitely changed from what you would expect a Marine to be to what he is now now so <laughs> this is going to be real interesting guys just hang in there and, and listen to this I, we get we get david roberts thanks man for joining me on java chat it's, really it's david it. richards but i'm happy to be here awesome awesome so first off thank you for your service really appreciate you yeah. having served and putting in the time and putting in the sacrifice that in and of itself must have been an adventure i mean you were you were an officer correct I was, yeah, it, it, it was, but I grew up in the Marines too. So it was kind of like an extension of my life professionally. Like I, like I moved, I was born into the Marine Corps. My dad was a Marine and moved around a bit and then went to college and just decided I didn't have a, didn't have a really a plan. And so the Marine Corps helped pay for school. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to join the Marines. Sweet. That's, that's spoken just like a Marine too. <laughs> it's very it detailed. It's right there. Options. This is what it is. This is what happened. That's how it went. That's the debris. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. Oh, where'd you attend college? I went to Penn State. Nice. Okay, cool. Good. Yep. Good school. What was it like being in the Marines? I mean, was it, was it a, a sense of my dad was, I am, or did it really just become as a, as a matter of, well, you know, there's some help here. I'll just go and see what happens. Or I mean, what was the, well, no, it, it actually started out quite differently than that because growing up, I hate, like I resented the Marine Corps because we moved and yeah. this was, you know, decades before Facebook and texting and instant messaging. And so it was very disruptive for me to like make good friends with people yeah. and then say, okay, we're never going to not really process it, but like, bye, we're going to the other side of the country now or whatever. And, and not fully process. I, we're never going to see each other again. This is it. Just, it doesn't matter. Like everything that we've said, like about like being best friends forever or whatever, doesn't matter because yeah, it's gone. Yeah, and so like <clears throat> in the break, like as, as I got older and became a teenager, it's just this, that was my angst. That was, that's what got me into heavy metal, like Motley Crue and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And in college, it was okay if you get an academic scholarship, great. If not, you can get a job because you're going to pay for half of school, or you can join the military and do ROTC. And so it was kind of like, okay, I'll do military, but. I'm not going to do the Marines. And so I was going to do the Navy. I was going to join the Navy. I did Navy ROTC first. My college roommate was my best friend from high school. Same kind of story, Marine dad. He was going to do the Army. And like after a semester, we're both kind of like, the Navy's hard. Like the Navy's mechanical engineering and it's like yeah. stuff. And there's a like lot of something else. I don't, I don't think, I don't think people really understand or appreciate what, what the Navy does. No, they, uh, they really don't. And those guys, are <laughs> but so for me, so it wasn't going to be, it was going to be the Navy. It was going to be the army for my buddy. And then it was like, wait, I can't like, this isn't for me mm. I get to the Marines. And it was yeah. kind of be like, well, I'm a legacy. Like dad is like a career Marine. He's been in for like at that point, 25, 26 years or something. Wow. And I got denied like my, my what? application wasn't accepted. Yeah, it wasn't like my my grades weren't good enough. My physical fitness wasn't good enough, and it was a big wake up call for me mm. that like that stuff mattered. And so I like I kind of I stopped partying. I like I just <laughs> focused on school and and my fitness. And and like after a year, I got I reapplied. I got in, and then it was like this fire burning inside of me. And of course, for for Marine Corps officers, the kind of the first crucible you go through is officer candidate school. Oh yeah. And that's like, that's a ball buster. Like that is real. <laughs> and like the attrition rate, I don't know, is like 20% or something, but it's hard. Like it's, it's super hard. It's super psychologically hard, physically demanding. And you get through that and then you're like, I can do anything. Yeah. So, so finished 
Penn State, get into uh, get into the Marine Corps, got into artillery, which is kind of something I wanted. I wanted to do something combat arms because my dad had been in Vietnam as an infantryman, you know, infantry platoon commander. And then I got to a unit, and the unit was already getting ready to deploy. Wow! So the Marine Corps, they they join with the Navy, and they have these things called Marine Expedi Expeditionary Units, and they go yeah. out from either the East Coast or the West Coast, right. and it's basically like a police officer patrolling the world. Yeah. And so, like for us, so you're doing all this training, you're doing uh -huh. crazy, like dropping out of helicopters, like rubber boats in the water, laying yep. on beaches, yep. shooting yep. all over the place. And then you go and you actually get on the ship for six months and we we're supposed to go to like Singapore. And then I think we're going to go to Kuwait. At some point we're supposed to go to Australia and then back to Singapore. Well, we go to Singapore and then we got diverted to Somalia and we started Operation Restore Hope back in 1992. Wow. And, like I was one of the first 30 or 40 Marines ashore. Jeez. And so you're doing this stuff and like you're 23 years old or 24 or something. You're like, this is, this is amazing. Like yeah. I'm on like, the pointy edge of the spear doing stuff but then like you know i so I, I like i used to write in high school i had some stuff published i got poetry that won awards and stuff english major in college but like didn't see a connection between that and the marine corps and so i just focused on being a marine not necessarily realizing that like all i had done was take the misery <clears throat> that i had like i had put on myself kind of and how i looked at moving around as a kid right and now i was getting paid to do that and, and so like, it was kind of tearing at me and like, I didn't like, I kind of held poetry back and writing back for about 10 years yeah. in the Marine Corps. And then I had a boss who painted and that was like this revolutionary thing for me. And so like, I started writing again, probably about 2001, 2002. That's, that's something else. Because if you, if you think about it, how often has that kind of creativity actually been inspired? by engagements of that sort. I mean, how many poems have been written over war? How many poems have been written over battles and things of that nature? And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and like the first, the, I remember, I still have a copy of it on my computer. The first thing I wrote, because I remember we were talking like, I mean, it was cool because like my boss was a full bird Marine Corps colonel. So nice. Like, He'd, he'd done like 20 something years sure easy before that he'd been a boston police officer like a street cop oh, so i mean like wow. just this cool like you know heavy new thing new england accent <laughs> the fact that he painted like it was this bond that he and i shared like we could talk with the like i was a company commander he was a battalion commander so there were like four others of me yeah but they're all different backgrounds and so <laughs> it was like something for us to connect on and i remember there was this tv show about helen of troy no nah. we we're talking about it it was like oh it's going to be some drama soap opera thing and it's not going to talk about like about Achilles because like right. Achilles is like the really he's cool he was yeah story. yep he was and so the first thing I wrote like in two thousand or two thousand one was a poem on Achilles and I remember I sent it off to somebody I was like buying like these little Spartan helmets from this store in Greece and so I got to know the guy like I was buying from and at some point I sent him the poem. And it was so cool because he's like, this is the best thing on Achilles I've ever written, like, I've ever <laughs> read. And it's written by an American. Like, that's so cool. But yeah, like it was, you know, it was, it was a very different experience because no one, like none of my friends in the Marines were writing poetry or anything like that. So, yeah. So you got out when? 2006. Oh, six. Okay. What happens next? Well, it was a big, it was a big revelation for me because, you know, I kept, I'd been divorced. I had a daughter and, but I was kind of repeating, I was still making the same mistakes because I hadn't really learned the lessons. And so I was still moving and, you know, Michael, for me, when I looked at a relationship, the potential of a relationship, I didn't look at it based on, oh my God, she is so amazing. We have so many things in common or we have so many things in contrast that I can learn from this person. I looked at it like I've got nine months left before I move to another place. Oh goodness. How much can I, can I like go all in on this relationship to try and bring it with me somehow? Because I wasn't mature enough to like <clears throat> kind of figure out like how to have a relationship. <laughs> right. Or is it not worth pursuing? And so, you know, I kind of got to a point in my career. I was 15 years in, I had a tumor in my neck that was removed. And that was kind of like this, it was almost kind of a wake-up call. It was a benign tumor, but it was a wake-up call. Like, what are you doing? 
Yeah. Like my dad retired after 31 years. My brother had been in 18 years at that point. And I was kind of like, this isn't what I want to do. Like I, I sort of had, I had built in my head early kind of in my career that like, if I just kind of did what my dad did, right. I could have a successful career. And he did infantry first. He was, he was enlisted. So he did data systems. Then he became an officer infantry in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And then he switched to computers when he got back from Vietnam. And so I thought, oh, I'll kind of do the same thing, but it didn't really take, it didn't make me happier. And finally I got to the place where I'm like, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to go just down this path that mm -hmm. is cut out for me. Right. I feel like I have to fill in and see how well I did in comparison. And so I decided I'm going to give corporate America a shot. I, I took the plunge. I got out. I, I interviewed for three places. Uh, I, I, I should say I decided to give like civilian life a shot because I interviewed for three places. One was like a large IT company. One was a defense contractor that one of my old bosses worked at outside of DC. And then one was to be like a mercenary in Bahrain in the Middle East because I had a contact that I had gone to, we'd gone to the same second year program in the Marine Corps together, like we'd gone to the same program. And so I was going to do that. And I knew like, as cool as mercenary sounded, like I will never have a normal life if I do that. No, like, yeah, not as a mercenary. That's want. so far away kind of from yeah. what I want. So I went with a large IT company. I got introduced to yoga, like immediately as I got out of the Marine Corps, it just happened to work out. I read a football or like a Sports Illustrated magazine article about- Hold, hold, on, hold on, hold on one second. You got introduced second. to what? Uh, yoga just coming out of the marine corps you got introduced to yoga i got yeah yeah so like the week the week oh, i gotta I hear got this out. wait wait wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me sit back i, I need to hear this because this is <laughs> this is a no, this, yeah i've been teaching i've been teaching yoga for uh 13 years now so Jesus. i got I, I think this is probably the weekend so I, my last assignment in the marines was in miami and i was doing work in central america uh -huh. my family was in north carolina so I drove up the, the, when I got out, I drove up to my family's place because my job was actually going to be in North Carolina, close to where my family lived, ironically. Right. And um, I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article and it was about, I think it was somebody from the Arizona Cardinals, but it was about NFL players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. Ah. And obviously in the Marine Corps, like physical fitness is a staple. Like everybody, you have, physical fitness is just how P I live my P life. And I thought- Yeah, PT is normal. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not anything unusual. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give yoga a try. Like maybe it'll help with stretching between lifting weights and stuff. And so like here I am three or four days, like having left the Marine Corps, I take my first yoga class. It was like what we call gentle yoga. So there wasn't a lot of stress, no real yeah. sweating. It was kind of weird because like I was the only guy in the class. I'm like, all right, this is a little, all right. <laughs> but like two days later, I took a different class, different no, structure. No, no less. It's a Marine that's in the class and he's the only Wait. guy. <laughs> <laughs> but but so like part of it was I grew up, I spent three years in Japan as a kid uh -huh. and getting exposed to Eastern culture, like in 1979, 1980 mm -hmm. and like getting this familiar, this early sort of orientation to samurai or to yeah. Bushido or yep. to like the beauty of making something beautiful in the act of doing it. Yep. Like that had a huge influence on like this guy who's becoming a teenager. And I know when I came back to the States, it was so different because none of my friends had that experience, but so I went to a different class, like a couple days later, I'm like drenched in sweat. And I'm like, well, how is this happening? Like, how is yoga making me pant? And I'm like, just like a bucket. Right. And, but also it was like, what is it doing to my head? Because something was happening in my head where like, I was becoming like more aware of stuff. Right. And it was like, especially like coming out of the military where I didn't, I wasn't doing like a ton of email. Like I wasn't living my life by email. Right. And then getting into corporate America where it was like this deluge of you, you live and die by it. Yeah. It's a, it's a complete it, shift. Like my mind would get quiet when I started going to yoga class and I was like, I got to do more of this. And so like I got in, I got completely into it. And after a year I became an instructor. I started teaching. I, I you know, co-opened a studio with somebody and that was like a big revelation just to like to see, just to kind of like, that was sort of the pathway for me to figuring out there's more to just having this programmed life that we're trying to live and you, you build this script out and then go, you know, wait for it to happen. It was like, be more self-aware, be more in the moment and see what that gets you. And, and it's been one of my favorite discoveries in my life so far. So you, you got out of the Marine Corps, you, you happened upon this 
new mode of PT, if you will, yeah. that was affecting you, like was giving you some real effect. And then all yeah. of a sudden you decided to just jump in headlong and, and that's like a, like a whole shift in purpose. If you think about it, is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Well, and I, I say headlong, I think for me, it felt headlong, but like there were, there were cutoffs too. Like, like I grew up in a like Christian family. And so the idea is even as I was intrigued by the premise of yoga, when I started talking, hearing about Ganesh or Vishnu or Krishna, and like you started hearing all this other thing, it's like, all right, well, hold on. <laughs> but but like it didn't stop me from understanding the like the essential kind of core of yoga which is this idea that there's a relationship between the observer of something and the observed and that's what we call awareness and the more in tune you become with your awareness the more you can start to shape your awareness or become one with something which is sort of be what being present is it's not where i'm thinking at you know this is a bottle or that's a microphone it's i'm here we're talking and this is the experience and so so that was super cool but it also was like how do i how do i reconcile this with my faith and i think at this point for me it was like you know we, i mean this is kind of the dawn of the internet age and information age and like it was almost like god was sort of passe because now we're discovering like all oh, about the world and stuff so it was kind of a lot to take in but i think it was like there was something that was attracting me to yoga and, and like, I just kept pulling on that thread. I think that's the best way to describe it. Got it. It, it sounds like that there was a, and I know Marines do this too, and pretty much like special forces, it comes to mental clarity and mental focus and things of that nature. In fact, I, if I remember reading once that certain branches of the military actually use like meditation and things of that nature, like the seals, they do their box breathing, calm down and all that kind yep. of stuff. How do you equate that? I mean, you're, you're looking at it from now a different, not again, civilian life versus military life. You had a shift, you had a shift of purpose, you had a shift of focus. And now you're, you find yourself more focused on the mental aspect of things as much as, I mean, there's still the physical, obviously, but I mean, how does that, how does that play out for you? Does that make sense? I mean, it was a journey, right? It's a lot of times it's because in some ways we have all created patterns and habits in our lives. And that was like, that's why I didn't have success with relationships because I had this pattern where yeah. I couldn't move with the relationship because it was like, when I move, I'm going to become someone else because I'm going to have a new job and that's going to be a big part of my personality. And that was still kind of evolving that piece. And I think it like the transition was, it was, it was kind of super gradual because I was learning to be a yoga instructor. And then at some point I was applying what I was learning. And so I did get deeper into meditation. Like I had meditated coming out of Japan when I was in high school, but it was this very awkward rudimentary thing where I like, I was fascinated by Japanese swords. And so like, I would go to back then it was like cigar shops for some reason would have like cigar, you know, swords. And so, or there's this place called the Franklin mint in Pennsylvania that would like, you know, do these replica swords of like King Arthur or whatever and a really beautiful sword so like I would get a ja I had a Japanese sword and I would put it in front of me in like the living room and this would be like on a Friday night so my brother's out my parents are out doing something my friends are like partying or whatever and I'm sitting at home by myself with this Japanese sword trying to do something like I wasn't exactly sure and I think the piece that yoga really opened up for me was your mind is a tool Yep. Like your mind isn't just this vehicle for reaction. You can actually kind of craft it into something that becomes directional, becomes purposeful. And I think that was for me, you know, there's, there's kind of this whole theme as I look back on things of like living a planned life and then being upset when the plan doesn't go, you know, or you have to adjust when the plan goes off kilter as opposed to being present in life and having life be an adventure. And I think that was the gradual shift, but that took a long time because again, it's, it's one thing to learn how to teach yoga physically. Mm -hmm. It's another thing, how to talk about yoga, where you can help people understand that you have a relationship between what you focus on and you can actually choose what you decide to focus on. You can choose on focusing on, oh my gosh, this is a terrible pandemic and people are dying and there's political unrest, or you can focus on 
I've had so much time to reflect and grow as a writer or like really be a present in appreciating how beautiful nature is or like just appreciating every day instead of worrying about tomorrow three weeks from now. And so it was that like, that was a big step, but then you kind of have to like process, okay, well, how do I, how do I start to create, create my mind to be the tool I want it to be? These are all curious questions. These are all things that, that are like curiosity based. At least that's what I'm hearing. How did, I mean, is that just something that you naturally are? Or is that something you also had to develop? I think, I think I've always been curious. I think it was, sometimes curiosity was like short-sighted. In other words, be like, oh, that person looks really interesting. I want to get to know them. As opposed to kind of then like, oh, this person reached out to me. We have a really strong connection. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so it kind of gets to this point of, well, like, how do you make that more grand? And that's like the more present you become in what kind of life do I actually want to like create? Like what if I really yeah, kind of yeah. pull yeah. everything back and stop thinking about all the things that I've committed to, because I think my obligation to that is somehow creating me and just coming back to, okay, who do I really want to be? Mm-hmm. And when, do, like for me as a writer, it was like, let me get that down on paper because there's a power yeah. to putting something on paper absolutely, and having a conversation with yourself that is super, you know, it's, it's not only enlivening, but it's also fulfilling. And so that was like the big piece for me was what you think about matters. And that starts with even like the words that we put together. So all that begs the question then, what, what, would, be, what would be the thing that you're most curious about, at least at this point in your life? For me, I think, you know, I'm working on my third book right now, and it's really been an exploration of what is the kind of what is the truest love story that I can write? Nice. And I mean that in this, I mean that in both senses of the word, in terms of we think of true love, but we also think of truth. And it's kind of like, it's almost like I'm using, I'm substituting real story Mm. or real love for true love. And mm-hmm. so it's like, what's the truest love story that I can write in the year that we've had a pandemic, in the year that like my meditation has gotten so much deeper, my writing has gotten so much deeper. And so that's kind of been the exploration. And that's like, that's been a beautiful journey. There's been like last, last year was super hard. Like when things started yeah. to shut down, yep. it took some getting used to it, took some adjustment. I had just come out of a relationship like October of 2019 my second book was in the process of being published. And, but for the first time in my life, Michael, I knew coming out of that relationship, I knew whatever was on the other side of it was going to be better. And, and part of that was because of what I'd done with my mind. And a lot of that was going to a couple of Tony Robbins events and realizing like life is going to teach you lessons or, or give you lessons until you'd learn them. Yeah. And then you kind of advance to the next level. And it yeah. sounds like, well, life can't be that orchestrated, but it really is. <laughs> And that's like, right, if you believe in infinite intelligence or God or the universe or whatever, then there's something there. And, you know, for me to hear someone like Tony Robbins, who's been super ultra successful, talk about the universe talks or speaks to you in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, to go to a mastermind with Jack Canfield, who sold 500 million books and hear him say, oh yeah, I was a Roman soldier, you know, 1500 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're like, there's another level because... I have some of that in my own head, but to hear people who are really successful say that makes me start to think that like there is universal message out there. And so when I combine that idea that there is universal message with this idea of what's the ultimate expression of love that I can find, like that's taken me down this tremendous path of discovery. Cool. And how far away are you from that book? From that, that um, book? <laughs> good question. I just posted a picture. <laughs> it's an interesting story because I wasn't even... <clears throat> I, I, I entered in February of last year, I entered a book contest. Let me give you the short answer first. <laughs> I've written, I have in front of me right here, two notebooks and seven or eight journals that I have filled over the last 12 months with either last nine months or 10 months with either versions of the book that I wrote, like short versions or with just notes and journals. And and it's probably about six or 700 pages worth of stuff that I've handwritten mm-hmm. over the last 10 months or so. And mm-hmm. so in one sense, I think, I think the book's almost done, mm-hmm. 
in another sense, I'm not sure I've started writing it yet, but I still stand by, it's almost done. I just haven't right because what I find is, and this is like, this is super, this is super interesting thing to go into. So I went to a, a, a mastermind with Jack Canfield in March of last year. And I was going to talk about the lighthouse keeper, my second book, but it was like, it was in the process of being released. Sure. And I just had the idea. My third book was going to be called being B E I N G. Yep. And it was a, around this idea that who we are is more important than what we do. Mm -hmm. And so, but I like, I didn't have, I had, that was all I had. Like I had done this pre-order con like on a whim, I got an email about a pre-order campaign and like this contest by this website called publisher.com, publishizer.com. And so like on a whim, I entered the contest, even though like I was focused, I was doing PR for my second book and mm -hmm. like, okay. And like, I got enough people to get a pre-order deal done. I had like 12 publishers that were interested, but I really didn't like know what the book was going to be about. So I talked to Jack Canfield about it and like, he'd never met me before. He didn't know anything about me. And he gives me some advice. If you have never been to a mastermind, you go with a group of like-minded people and there's usually someone who leads the mastermind. In this case, it was Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul author, tremendously successful. And you pitch to him an idea and he kind of tells you about how your idea can be improved. And it's like this super uber coaching session kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he gives me some pointers. And then at the end of it, he says, you've got a year. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Like, that means you got a year. <laughs> and you, so if you're in a, if you're I, in a mastermind, that's exactly what happens that you end up, you end up getting a, a deadline from the group or from the leader. Cause they, they have well, to it's like, something. it's this surreal experience. Yeah. And then the other stuff that happened after that was like, like my meditations, like I had like out of body mystical experiences and, and crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and so I started writing this book by hand mm -hmm. and it became like this, I mean, the, the story was so beautiful and it was basically like these, it was just a conversation and it wasn't like written in a book format. It was almost written like a text conversation with two different color pens and one pen was unconditional love and the other pen was conditional love. Hmm. And like, so I wrote a couple versions and I was like, this is super intense. Like I had my mom read it and she's like, it took 20 minutes for her to read it, but she was like, I'm so tired after reading this. Like, this is so intense because it was just how it was all structured. It was super kind of meta, I guess, as the kids would say. Yeah. And then I got to a point where I couldn't write it. Like I couldn't finish it. Like the story started to get really detailed and it started to have texture and like put people into it and, and I couldn't finish it. And so like after like probably three or four weeks of like just sheer frustration, I kind of stepped away from it. Yeah. And that actually kind of turned me back toward like my faith. Like, what do I believe in? Like the story is so deep and faith is such a big part of it. Like, what is that? What do I really believe? And so then at some point I started thinking back to what Jack Canfield said, and you've got a year and this was like right around March 20th, March 19th. And so I'm like, okay, why don't you listen to that and figure out what this year means to you? And so it's, it's been like, it's been a, a, just an incredible journey. And like over the holidays, I took some time off and just kind of wrote without expectation and just kind of journaled and just put, and, and that was super liberating. And now that's become sort of my mode of operating where I just grab the journal instead of saying, okay, I'm going to write chapter one today or whatever this is. I just write, I just write whatever comes down and I'm not editing myself. I'm not saying, Oh, I want to say happy instead of glad. I just kind of let it go. And so I know even as the story continues to evolve, like I understand it more and I'm just like, okay, like let this thing go. And there is an art to a writing process and you have to arm that process. And so I think at the very least, Jack was telling me your writing process is going to take a year. I'm like, okay, yeah. I got it. Yeah, that I can I can see that's a part of it. I, I I hear a couple other things going on too, and one of these days we'll have to sit down and chat about that as well. Yeah, it leads into our next section anyway, which is perfect because you're starting to talk about what inspires. That's that's our next section. So, guys, we're going to take a short, quick thirty second break. We will be right back, and we'll 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 go dig in and figure out what drives this this former marine. <laughs> Other, other than directives, <laughs> we'll be right back in 30. And we're back here at Java Chat, and uh, we're hanging out with, we're hanging out with the man, Mr. David Richards, talking a little bit about, we were just talking about his book, and, and he started getting into kind of what motivates and what inspires, and 
all of you guys know this is that section we talk about those things so he's also mentioned things about presence so in and around that what got you inspired for one the first book and 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 what's the first book about yeah yeah no so when i got out of the marines I'd, I'd already kind of reignited the writing bug, even though it was just poetry. I think maybe I'd tried maybe some short stories, but like poetry is it. And so I always liked Stephen King growing up. And I say that because, and his books are invariably almost always better than the movie oh, version. Always, always. Um, <laughs> but it's because you can get into characters' heads and that's like an actor is portraying that. But when you're writing, like if you make a character go crazy, the reader gets to go along with you and yeah. like pet cemetery is it's one of my favorite different. it's very different when you're when you're reading a book versus watching a movie it's still different it doesn't matter oh how yeah you oh yeah and so like pet cemetery is one of my favorite books and to 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 watch the main character lewis creed who starts out as this morally great dad and you know ends up digging up his son and putting him in an indian burial ground spoiler alert uh, to bring him <laughs> back to dead is it's horrific and yeah. you get to have a front row seat to watch him do that and so like so i wanted to write horror stories and i had a couple ideas i would write like 100 pages mm -hmm. and and then it would kind of peter out and i was like oh. and i'd put it aside and i did that three times i had three different versions of mm -hmm. uh, horror stories i wanted to write each one kind of slightly different right and and then in 2017 somehow I'd gotten turned on to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Someone had said, this is the book you got to read. Yeah. And so I grabbed it. It was still like the holidays. It's probably around this time of the year. And, uh, and in the first or second chapter, he says, hey, what is the purpose of your life? And I was blown away. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, my <laughs> purpose? Are you kidding me? Really? And it was just like, I, it was, I was blown away. And so... I wrote a purpose statement. I had a pen and paper and I wrote a purpose statement. It's about like writing stuff. Yeah. And I think it's about writing my purpose, like sharing like my purpose in life is to share my purpose in life so people can find their purpose in life. And uh, I started writing Whiskey and Yoga was my first book. I started writing that in January, 2017. I would get up every morning. I think I started getting up like at four o'clock in the morning so I could like do a little meditation, cold shower, and then be writing by like 4.45 or five o'clock. Yeah. And I wrote like 200 pages of an autobiography and it was like April of 2017. And I'm like, you know what? No one is going to give a rat's butt about some dude finding his purpose in life in his mid late forties. I got to like, I got to scrap this and I got to do a self-improvement book, a self-help book. And so I took the 200 pages, I put it aside. I did a 10 chapter outline for whiskey and yoga, helping, you know, how to find your purpose. Yep. And I wrote it in two months. And then I had, I had already kind of worked with, I found someone who's going to help me publish it. We're going to do a launch campaign for, you know, bestseller status. And uh, I did that in October of, of 2017, number one in Amazon, two categories, you know, so obviously international bestseller, super excited by it. And it was, you know, and that was a big, I don't look back at that book and think it was a great book because I was getting over the mental hurdle of, can I write a book? Can I actually write something mm -hmm. and, and publish it? And I got over that hurdle and then it was, it was neat that it had the success. I remember like I had a, I had a 42 year old bottle of scotch that I opened up when it went to number one. And like, I had some of that scotch and it was so great. Hot and then, okay, what next? Like what's next? Yeah. And, and, and part of the feedback I'd gotten from it was it's good if you got the book, but then you have to have something behind it. You have to have like either yeah. workshops or something that's going to get you like to speak to people or yep. to you know, conduct stuff with people. To the, to, bo to the book's just it. an entry, and then it just it just begins to introduce yeah. you as a an actual mode, if you will, to others yep. that vibe with it, that that get it, and are like, ah, uh, yeah, what he said. That kind of that kind of yeah. changes. And so, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was like 2017 was such a transformational year because for me, it was, it was writing that purpose statement. It was starting to write the book. And then I remember, I think in March, I get an email from Tony Robbins, like from team Tony Robbins. And it was mm -hmm. about 
attending one of his workshops, Unleash the Power Within. Yeah. And like the money for like a seat near the stage, like, I mean, there are some seats that are like $50,000, whatever. Yeah. And I'm not considering those, but like there was one that's like 3000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my mindset was, that's a ridiculous amount of money to spend for that. But then there was this little voice that said, we've never done something like that. This guy obviously knows what he's talking about. Let's go do it. And so I put down money. I went to one of his events in July, blown away, like completely like the stuff that you go through this kind of spiritual, like not only just awakening, but spirit, like you kind of tear your soul open and be like, what is the, what is the stuff that I am holding myself back because of what I believe about my life? And it was, it it showed me in some ways the power of belief, because in some ways it's also the prison of belief. Like what you believe in your life is a prison. And, and so, you know, he has these incredible tools that he helps people kind of break out of their own prison. And that was so big. I became a a strengths coach. I became a certified professional coach in 2017. And then I finished the year going to another one of his events, Date with Destiny in Florida. And again, you know, part of me was reluctant because I'm like, how much is this going to be the same of what Unleash the Power Within was? And it was a completely different experience, completely different in terms of how it was set up. The relationships you make with people, the the information you cover, you you know, you look at your values, you look at all this stuff, and so like this was me sort of like tearing off all this dead me that was the person who was going to play it safe mm-hmm. and who's going to plan this life out and just kind of sit back and cruise control and not really like start to like be involved and engage in my life, and that was like you know what I'm going to write writing is what I love to do. I'll figure out how to communicate value to people. You know, whether it's speaking or whatever, mm-hmm. but I think the, the the next book, The Lighthouse Keeper, which I, I wrote in in 2019, was really about how do I master my mind? Like how do I how do I get to a place where I can control what I'm thinking about or what I want to think about instead of having these patterns that somehow I can't break out of. So without 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 going too far into it, because obviously we're gonna to want to post that book so people can go read this and, and learn it themselves sure. in a in a in a brief how does one master one's own mind? Cause that, I mean, that's always a question that every human has. Yeah. They may not, they may not blatantly ask it, but it's in there. How does one actually do that? Because you're, you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about a lot of minds that are literally locked hypnotically to messaging that's been put out over the last like few years. Yep. And you have, you have you, Part of it is you, you got to break out of the matrix. And I know that sounds so you know jaded and it's Keanu Reeves, but it's absolutely true. And there's this like big momentum, this shift, this current where culture goes. There's nothing wrong with being aware of that, but you don't have to be in it. And for me, it comes down to mastery of mind comes down to, okay, first, what is my relationship to my mind? Because a lot of people think, well, I am my mind. I am my mind and my body. And if anything yoga has taught me is no, you're not. Your mind is how you interact with this world and your body is kind of a history of your interactions with this world. But there's absolutely something behind that. And that's why like there's the self and the self is some divine piece of you. And once you start to understand that relationship and that's really what the second book is about is this idea that it's called the lighthouse keeper. Your mind is an ocean and your awareness is a lighthouse. And through the practice of, again, meditation, focus, willpower, you can start to shape where your awareness goes in your mind. And I tell that through a story, but that, that's the big piece of it. And you know, people today in this day and age are so hell bent on instant gratification. <laughs> and like, I've heard people write and say like, oh, I tried to write, but if it's not perfect, I'm not gonna do it. I'm like, well, then you're not a writer. Because writers write, it doesn't matter the quality of what you put out. You have to, you have to kind of go through that process. You have to, you know, I have to write 300 pages of stuff I'm never going to use because now I have a better sense of how to put words together that makes an impact, that communicates an idea and does it in a way that people find compelling and they want to read more. And so you have to kind of come back to, okay, if my mind is this internal thing and there's a self behind it, then if I can start to understand the relationship between the self, the body and the mind, then I can start to direct things and I can start to control my mind. And there is, you know, especially I think 
even though I think you're right in a lot of ways, there's been a lot in the you know the last few years that says there's the culture of conditioning is has gotten stronger. But there are tools out there for meditation. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza and his book Becoming Supernatural is completely next level. Like he has figured out the pineal gland, third eye, how to bring your awareness out of your body. Like he has done that in like rock solid fashion. And I like I can certainly say. I'm a believer because the stuff I've done with his meditation is next level. It's interesting to see that slowly the, the awareness of how powerful humankind actually is, is, is slowly coming to light. Yep. It's, and I think it's, I think it's, it has become because of, again, everything that's going on in the world period that humankind is going yeah something's wrong here there's, yeah. there's there's something else afoot and maybe there's something to what all of these gurus and yogis and everything are everybody are saying i've been in and around that realm for many years we started learning about it when i was in uh, massage therapy back in hawaii okay. uh, I, I i come from a culture that believes in more than just us and that there are other levels, so to speak, of, of being. And over time, having learned from other cultures as well that have that same awareness, that same presence, if you will, and being able to see things that you're not supposed to see, know things that you would normally wouldn't know. Yeah. And be able and be able to literally go, hmm, okay. So that's why that's happening. And and really and really get it. I mean, like there's I think for the most part, for those that don't have that connection, trauma is much more, uh, they're much more susceptible to trauma or traumatic events in their lives versus those who understand that those traumatic events are purposeful events. Like you said, life hands us a whole bunch of lessons. How will you handle this trauma? How will you handle this event? How will you handle... You know, when the, when the universe, when you ask the universe for something and, and the universe goes, let's just make sure if that's really what they want, give them a shot. And, and then all, all of a sudden it's like, well, why is the world against me? No, the world's not against you. You're just not paying attention. I think a lot, I think, I think, well, I think a lot of that's still going on too. Well, and I think part of it is, you know, I think one of the big takeaways I took from Tony and it sounds weird, but you need to organize your mind. Yeah. And what I mean by no, that you're is right. <laughs> it's true. You, you got to look at like, what do you value? What yeah. do you believe? And it was so, you know, Michael, it was so incredible. I think on our first day in this thing I did in December of 2017 with him, it was in Florida and he brought this Indian gentleman up on stage and the guy, his, his first thing was there were like 5,000 people. He said in the past 30 days, how many people have con contemplated suicide? Like right out. And like 18 or 19 people raised their hand. And he said, generally in a group this size, I get about 20 people. And so he brings this guy up on stage and the guy was like a doctor in India had found a cure for brain cancer. Wow. Like had done this. And then I guess like had become disenchanted because like what else was he going to do with his life after he found a cure for brain cancer? And so he got really depressed, got on all these antidepressants. His brother had talked to him and talked him into flying from India, like on Saturday, that, you know, the previous Saturday, mm. he lands in the U.S. on Sunday, and now he's talking to Tony Robbins on Monday. <clears throat> and the guy had taken out a life insurance policy. He was going to, this was December 2017, he was going to kill himself to New Year's Eve. And so his family would be in a life insurance policy. And like, it came down to one of the things that, he, you know, Tony asked him was, what do you value? What's the most important thing in your life? And the guy's like, integrity. He's like, okay. And he's like, what are your what are your rules for integrity? And the guy's like, well, I always have to tell the truth, and I can never like tell a lie or something like that. Was, you know, I'm simplifying it, but it was like Tony pointed out to him, you can't live your life in absolutes. If you say you're never going to tell a lie, is that true? If <laughs> like if you like forget to make the bed, and your wife comes in and is like, oh, did you forget to make the bed, and you like lie about it or something? Well, now you're lying and you've broken your integrity thing. And yeah. so it was this, and I'm, I'm simplifying what probably took place over 45 minutes to an hour oh, yeah. and a half. Yeah, things like By that. By the end of this time, this guy was dancing 
and like he was super happy and you realize that you you saw his mind was unlocked because like you have to think about what you value you you have to think about what you believe and you have to be aware of what are the things that i value that may be or the rules that i have that may be harming me like what are the things i value that are taking me down a path where i either get frustrated mm -hmm. angry or, or whatever else and so that was like a huge wake up call that the, like you, you kind of get to get straight on who you are and what you believe. Mm. And when you do that, then you kind of empower yourself to take more control and gain more of yourself back. And I think so many of us, because we're either trying to please other people or we're distracted with life, we give away our energy and we give away our awareness. And that's why we get frustrated because we've sort of given ourselves away instead of taking ownership for ourselves. I think that happens more often than not. I mean, if, if you look at the condition again, if oh, you yeah. the condition of the world right now, even, even within those actual communities that are supposed to be that kind of aware, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of that going on. There's still a lot of mental locking, if you will, where most people think this happens just with entrepreneurs. I'm like, yeah, no, it happens with everyone. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what profession you're in. I don't care what part of the world you're in. This is a human condition. <laughs> yep. This is not, it, it, this is, this is the one disease that is non-discriminatory and will follow you anywhere. You cannot, you yeah. cannot escape it, but you can defeat it by, like you said, recognizing your values understanding your beliefs and reclaiming what is yours and that's you. absolutely you so good call on how to master your mind that's i think that's a i think that's a really nice way of of laying that out well that that begs a point too what's what would be then in your own mind what would be the biggest thing you've learned up to this point about anything whether that's you life or what have you Oh man, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like 12 months ago, this would have been such an easy question to answer. I think it's, it's that, I think it's that there is like, in some sense, you know, we have all these different beliefs about why we're here or how we even came to be here. And there's the scientific, you know, explanation that somehow the universe just randomly popped up and billions of stars and this big bang and all this stuff happened. And then there's various aspects of religion. And I think for me, especially over the course of the past year and the book I'm writing, I've, I've come to the place where I realized there's one truth that brings us all together. And if you call, if you want to call that God or divinity or, you know, infinite intelligence, but that's part of what my story is about. This, this book I'm writing is the story of what this one truth is and like, I'm not saying that I'm the authority on it, but I'm saying the story that I'm writing is giving me great signs that I can, I can make demonstrable proof of what I'm saying. And it's going to be a really beautiful love story. And I think that's ultimately, you know, when you talk about a pandemic, I don't, we haven't talked about the great conjunction. If you heard about Saturn and Jupiter right before Christmas and like the star of David and stuff mm -hmm. or star of Bethlehem. But like, there is there, like, there is a universal truth. And in some ways, like, it's beautiful to appreciate that. And even though we've all had to go through this pandemic and people lost their lives, people have been sick, the, the unrest in our country is like amazing to, to see where it is. Yeah. But in some ways that's just like, okay, well, what do you believe? Like, do you believe that all this bad stuff is happening and like the world's about to collapse in on itself? Or do you believe something else, like something miraculous may happen? And like, there's this beauty to, kind of looking at love and looking at faith and and seeing how they intertwine and so that's like for me it's a long-winded answer but i think it's i guess if i could summarize it i absolutely convinced there is one universal truth that brings all of us together i like i like the that last part that that's that answer is cool it's something that i've always advocated for and and all those friends that know me very much are they know i don't like to get into the arguments because honestly, the only argument that there is in my IMHO, in my humble opinion, yep. the only valid argument is for love. Be because there, I mean, everything else is is destructive. There's there's nothing creative in anything else 
outside of that. I mean, I can create a new world with, with, with hate. Yeah, you can. And it will continuously collapse. It will continuously implode. It will continuously break down. Well, that happens with love too. Mm, that depends. How often do you choose it? How often do you believe it? Is it an actual value? Is it a real value in, in you? Not just your head, but in you. You know, that whole thing about being present and, 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 and living with purpose, you know, is, is not, it's not necessarily about living in the moment. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Yeah, because like people, I think when people think about living in the moment, it's like, in a lot of ways, it's like, well, I want to create like this super great moment and then go live in it. Well, then what are you doing like in between that? Like you're, <laughs> you're struggling, whatever, like- Exactly. Like if, you're, if you're present and you're like, yeah, I've got a plan, but right now I have to do this. And then like, I'll know when I have time to work on my plan or work on my next book or whatever the case may be. Exactly. And it's not like any, any time you have want, you're creating separation. Yep. Like the more you want something, the more separate you are from it. I mean, that's just yep. like, yep. that's like the kid at Christmas who wants like, you know, that's the Christmas story where what's his name wants the, the air rifle or whatever, the pellet gun. And yeah, so you, you and still like, eventually shoots his eye out. Anyway, <laughs> shoot his eye out. So that's right. There, there goes his moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But that's a great. I mean, that's a great analogy, right? Like he wanted that. He wanted that. Like that was his thing. That was his thing. And he had that life was going to be sublime. It was going to be next level. And then he gets it, pops his eye out. And okay, it's not that great. And yeah. yeah, so it's that, that, that's a great analogy and a, a timely one since we're just coming out of the holidays. Yeah, well, and the best part about that is his the resolve afterwards, though, that he realizes that that moment wasn't that important. Yeah, absolutely. That it, that it was more about the whole situation yeah. and everything that, that goes with it. I think more people paid more attention to that. They'd probably be a little more cognizant of what's actually happening and, and where they can actually be a contributor rather than a detractor. If that makes sense. Hey guys, we're going to take another 30 second break and we're going to come back and figure out what's next. Cause uh, a lot of this has been great stories from, from the past, but I'm excited to hear what's going to come next. So about 30 seconds, we'll be right back. We're back. All <laughs> <laughs> good. Here with David Richards counting backwards just so we can get back into the podcast. Oh, shucks. So, Obviously, you're working on the book, brother. You, we we kind of talked a little bit about that up on the yep. front side. Is there anything else going on? I mean, like, are you are you going to be speaking anywhere? Or are you doing any other shows? People can come and follow you and hear more about what what what's going down. Yeah, I think I think this book is is going to be the pathway to speak more because I think when the message of this book comes out, it's something that people are going to want to understand and i think that's going to like require speaking it's not to say that the book itself won't be complete but how i wrote the book i mean that's going to be kind of the part of the journey to itself so that's a big piece but honestly you know and I, like I, I have plans i want to move back i want to move back i want to move to the uk because i've really enjoyed i've had some great interviews and great magazine articles done in the uk i've had nice. invites to come over there and speak <clears throat> and so Obviously, the pandemic is, a, is a, a reality that we all have to deal with. But I think once the pandemic, we get through that. And once this book comes out, then I'm certainly going to do more speaking. And then just like talk about the book, because like I said, the, the story is so beautiful and I can't wait to share it with people. But it's also a journey to, to get there. So I'm interested in the whole, the whole unconditional versus conditional love angle. I'm, I'm Obviously, it's when it comes trippy. out, you got to you got to let us know when it comes out so we can order one because it's definitely a. Yeah, I would imagine it's trippy. I mean, you're talking about. You're talking about an actual conversation, between two different kinds of love. Yep. And well, and, and it's interesting, and I, and I'll say this just to kind of tease it a little bit more. Because in my mind, when I first started writing the book, mm -hmm. again, it was the premise that who we are is more important than what we do. Right. And so what I found was the unconditional love voice became the voice of reason, kind of this, kind of the, the wisdom, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that was who we are. Right. And the conditional love voice very much became, well, yeah, we you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, 
break a few eggs to make an omelet kind of thing mm -hmm. and and became the the voice of yeah struggle is hard but when you triumph you learn and it's a great thing and so i found myself realizing that the conditional love in a lot of ways represented the male journey the hero's mm -hmm. journey of mm -hmm. you know the external struggle yeah it's braveheart it's gladiator it's you know, take your pick. Any one of those movies we see where the, like it's Iron Man and Tony, you know, yeah. in yeah. Avengers Endgame. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and the other voice, the unconditional love voice was really kind of the feminine journey, the, the heroine's journey, which is an inside journey, yeah. which is this kind of internal, instead of, instead of struggling outward, I have to journey inward to come to myself. And so that kind of surprised me because at one point, like I said, I thought the, the, the feminine voice would kind of win until the male voice, like this masculine voice said, well, no, but you have to, like, you have to strive. Like you have mm -hmm. to create this struggle because that's how like evolution sort of happens. Mm -hmm. And when like that, I remember when that conversation happened and I kind of got to that place, I was like, holy crap. Like, that's not, that kind of blows my hypothesis out of the water. Like, that's, <laughs> the whole book was going to be about this. And now I got to go in a completely different direction. But it was also, that was exciting because it was like, wow, I proved something wrong. Like in, in this theory that I had tr created about, like what this book was going to be about. So yeah, it was super, super cool. I, I think it's really going to be beautiful. People are going to be amazed um, at how beautiful a story it is. Science of love. Yeah. I, I, I heard somebody once, I can't remember where, tell, say that science is a bunch of theories that man has continually tried to prove, but never really been able to. So while we, while we say this is what we think is going on and then it becomes a law and all of a sudden, what have we been hearing lately? Some of the things in, us, in astronomy, they've been finding contradictions to the very laws that they believe were absolute. Yep. So you're, you're, you're putting a challenge out there, my friend. You're putting a challenge to the yeah. science of love. <laughs> well, I mean, but, it, but that's just it. You know, it's so funny because people think when they hear about the law of gravity or the speed of light, they think that those are things that we created and we didn't, we didn't, we, we didn't identified them. We, yeah, identified, yeah. Like we identified that stuff so that, that like, it gives you this sense that, well, because we've put this shape on it and called it the law of gravity, it's that's ours. The, that's well, no, that's it. no, it's You're not right. ours. Like it's not, it's not even, not even there. an iota. That's so hilarious. Yeah, somebody was sitting there was just talking about math to us. Like, let's make something clear. We didn't come up with Matt. We discovered it. <laughs> It doesn't belong and to us because somebody else made it. <laughs> and that, you know, and it's so funny because we talked about this. You talked about this earlier. Like we can create our own universes and you like, I'm yeah. a huge, you can see the pictures behind me, huge Marvel fan. I like love DC too, waiting for them to see like how they pull this all together. But like, we, we think it's so cool and so commonplace that like there's a Marvel cinematic universe yeah. or there's the extended universe or yeah. there's lord of the rings mm -hmm. or there's star wars right and we're like oh it's so cool that people have created these universes and yet for a lot of people the idea that some entity created this universe that we live in is so outlandish i know right it's like, well, that can't be possible because like no and it's like really we've created so many universes as people i gotta think if there's a higher power it's not that hard to create a universe that is full of people. So what's, like, what's, what's hilarious too is how developed some of those universes actually are. Oh my God. Beyond, yeah. beyond comic books, yep. beyond uh, fandom, beyond fan fiction and all that. I mean, I was just watching somebody yesterday do a series on uh, a Star Wars character called Darth Raven who was actually a Jedi Knight and went into this whole thing about war and how he got his mask and all this kind of, I'm sitting here going, but you guys can't believe in, in, in a higher being that created our universe. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Like people believe in the force. Like there are, like, there are people who practice being Jedis like around the world. So it's yeah. Like they have it's, and it's, stuff, a, it's a real, it's, it's a real cool. practice. Yeah. But then people are like, ah, religion, no way. And I get it. Part of it, religion's got a bad rap. And what do you like, think being a Jedi is? What do you think Bushido is? I know. Is? I mean, it's they're all it's so funny. It's, but it's, it's also like, like I grew up in the 80s. Like I grew up on Motley Crue, Dio, Ozzy. And in one sense, it was like, oh, that's devil music. And I remember like Tipper Gore, any, Al Gore's any, wife I wonder was if like they even, saying. Do they even know that Alice Cooper is a, is a diehard Christian? Well, it's so funny to say <laughs> it because like you listen to some of Dio's stuff. 
Yeah. Like Dio has a song from, I think, The Last in Line. It says we're all born upon a cross. And basically what he's saying is like everybody sinned and falls short of like God. Yep. And don't like point a finger at me just because I'm singing about it. And you like, I remember like when explicit lyric, remember when those things came out on mm -hmm. like CDs and stuff? Yeah. And the government was saying like, that music's bad. But meanwhile, the government's like taking money under the table or preachers like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker were a big thing, like stealing money from people. <laughs> those two are hilarious. I'm sorry. But that was that was probably the funniest <laughs> swagger, Jimmy in particular. He was <laughs> – sorry. But it's crazy because you realize like those bands, like even with all that anger and angst, were just singing about the hypocrisy of a system – that created them or they, actually trying to warn a, a few of them if you listen to the lyrics they're literally warning you to not take that side so yeah. while it was while it was crazy mosh pitting all over the place they weren't really listening to the lyrics it was hitting their subconscious but i mean yeah. literally it was a warning of you don't want to be here you don't want to be a part of that when when the song american idiot came out with green day they were they were like literally dumped on by conservatives going, oh, they hate America. They hate this. They hate that. And I listened to the lyrics and I went, uh-uh, that's not what that song is about. They're trying to warn people that the media is literally trying to hypnotize the whole country. Yeah. And, and it's working. Oh, nobody, I mean nobody caught that. And I was just like, because when I first heard it, I was just like, oh, how dare you? And I listened to the lyrics and I went, whoa, 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 time out. Hold on. Hold on. Oh. Wait a minute. There's something else going on here. Yep. And I think I think this book, at least by the way you're describing it, this book is going to open doors, and hopefully yep. a shit ton of them because it's needed. It's going to open doors in people's minds that they'll look inside and go, "Ooh, that doesn't look nice. I need to go clean that room out." Because the unconditional side will come in and go, "Yeah, you know." A little bit of dusting, maybe a little bit of cleaning might be necessary. Yeah. I no, you're absolutely that's, right. That's what I'm hearing. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's like like the subtitle for the book. Before I was going to call it being How to Win the Game of Your Life. And then I was actually at a bookstore last weekend. And I don't know if you know who Ram Dass is. He's like a spiritual teacher. Yep. But he came out with a book called Being. And so I'm yep. like, all right. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like the, the story has grown so much since then. Like my titles moved on. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is yet, but, but it was weird because at one point I'm like, well, how do you win the game of your life? And I, at one point I remember like you were, I, re I remember writing this in an early version, like you are guaranteed to win. I'm like, well, how can I make that kind of guarantee? And what does that, what does that mean? I go back to the Jack Canfield thing. And that's part of what the year has been like, okay, here's how you win the game of your life. And so. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a lot for people, but it's also gonna be super beautiful. And if you if you know it has a happy ending, then like that's the, that's the greatest part of it. So opening the locked doors. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be interesting. You'll you'll get that answer. Prison of belief. Yeah, yeah. Get out of the Great Bar Hotel in your own mind. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's and literally so what many it people is. there. Yeah, it is cool. Where can people find you? Like, we got to, guys, you guys know we're going to put all of these links, but I always put this in here anyway because those who are listening, where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, davidrichardsauthor.com. Go out there, check out my blog, check out, uh, there's other podcasts that we put on there. Certainly, we're going to put this one on there. Um, subscribe to the, the newsletter if you like. David Richards Author on social media and then Facebook, like Instagram and, and Twitter, David Richards Author, and then Whiskey and Yoga on Facebook if you want to check out Whiskey and Yoga. Oh yeah. Well, now that you said whiskey, I'm I'm definitely checking that one out. Anyway, <laughs> everybody that knows me knows I have this thing about rye, and it's 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 a it's a thing these days. Even though I'm still a coffee drinker, <laughs> that's all right. It's, it's all good. All right, guys. So yeah. you know, you'll see all the links down below. <clears throat> you'll have to send us links to the other books that you have published too, if you don't mind. We'll go ahead and put that in. Great. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to go ahead and answer ask questions down below he will get the links to this and it, it, if he has time he'll come here you want to really catch him go follow him where he just said go follow him you know pop into his blog pop into his social i'm sure he's active there if you're watching on youtube make sure you're you're subscribed if you're not subscribed yet hit that and the little bell 
<clears throat> remember the bell tells you when we get another killer killer guest like this on on uh, java chat come people come and hanging out with us uh, if you're listening on uh, any of the podcasting platforms uh, we're now on 13 of them that's awesome <laughs> Thank you, Anchor, for syndicating us to 11, and then two more popped up not long after that. So That's so cool. Uh, yeah, it, it's... it's eh, mm. <laughs> uh, Just really happy that it's happening, which means you can find us on places like Spotify if you're not already listening to us there. Uh, obviously, I, Apple Podcasts and Google Play Podcasts, so et cetera, et cetera. Uh, download them. Subscribe if you're on those platforms. That's cool. If you're on Anchor.fm, you can always support us there. You know, Every little bit helps. We're just a small little place, but you're going to see a lot more of these kinds of amazing people coming in here and sharing their insights, sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. So a huge thank you, sir, for jumping in. And I, I did, I, I mean, sir, with all respect, not militarily, but man, this was cool. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on here. Awesome. So you guys know how we love to end these. We love every single one of you. Thank you for taking the time or making the time to come and listen to what we have to share with you. Stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live for David, myself, Coffee with Mike. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.